we've dubbed this show the Christmas show. You know, a big part of the Christmas story is the people in darkness have seen a great light. Today we meet Blake and Samantha Donnelly. Blake and Samantha are a young family. They have four little girls aged 1 to 12. And they recently expatted from the West, a comfortable life in middle America, and joined Free Burma Rangers. Free Burma Rangers is an outreach ministry that serves the destitute poor war victims in active war zones in that part of the world. Blake and Samantha took their four little girls, aged 1 to 12, as previously said, and they're raising them in this environment. Now, you listen to that and you say, how could they do that? Because they have a handle on the, the residency of Holy Spirit within them and within their family. This is a whole new level. Merry Christmas. Meet the Donnellys. for you all being on on the show. Yeah, we're so thankful to be here. And 
like you said, thankful that all the technical stuff is working. I know I got on like last minute and um, it worked for 15 degrees here and everything is frozen and uh, things move a little bit slower on this side of the country. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Well, let me introduce you guys and then let's just get into uh, the good stuff. So the Christmas show is the people in darkness have seen a great light. And what I love about the Donnellys, Samantha and Blake, they're going to tell you about their backstory. We've been friends for about three years and we've done a lot of cool equipping seminars and we've trained a lot of people and they move in a in a level of love and commitment to the Lord that is rarely seen. Um, in fact, they're, they're going to tell you about themselves. They're not very old, and what God has done with them in their young lives is really impressive. So, Blake, I know, you know, your background, we're going to talk a little bit about coming out of the Navy SEALs. Uh, Samantha, I'd love for you to kind of set up the whole story. But what we really are going to build to, which I want you to don't miss this, is we have real-life examples of what it looks like when people put their lives, their families, and everything on the line for the namesake of Jesus and see Him show up in might and in power and in miraculous manifestation. So Blake and Samantha are missionaries with a group called Free Burma Rangers. This is really exciting. You should Google it. There's a movie made about them, and this is thrilling. So, you know, we all know people that are missionaries. Missionaries are cool. I got no problem with missionaries. But then there's this kind of missionary. And this kind of missionary is the kind that runs to where the bombs are going off. This is the kind of missionary what the Donnellys are doing is going into the most dangerous places on the planet, providing care, providing medical care, uh, spiritual care, food, whatever the people need, and standing side by side with the locals in the worst time while the bombs are falling, and they do it with their families, their little kids. So, Blake, Samantha, whoever wants to start, yeah, tell us kind of about where you came from and how is this a Christmas show? Amazing. Yeah, well, first, just want to say thank you for having us and glory to God. Everything you do is because of the testimony you've given us in our lives and the testimony of Christ. Um, and that's just, that comes from when Blake and I were in high school. And we both came from Christian homes. Um, I really grew up with a strong relationship with Jesus, but, um, you know, you can still make mistakes. You can still follow kind of your, the desires of your heart. And, um, and Blake, he came from a Christian home, but he was missing that relationship with Jesus. He felt like it was um, all about religion and what he had to do and just didn't understand that God was pursuing his heart, was after his heart through it all. So we ended up pregnant our senior year of high school, and we decided to get married and um, start a family. And the church family that we had was supportive, but also there was a lot of rejection. So Blake felt like that was God rejecting him, and he just ran. He ran from family, from responsibility, from God. And he said, I'm going to do this without God. And that took him down a path of drugs, alcohol, and within that time, you could see that um, God's grace was on the girls and I. He continually was with us, taking care of us, and even still had a, his hand of favor over Blake in his life, even though he wasn't um, walking with the Lord. Um, there was definitely a grace over our family. And through those years, he had three daughters, six 
Victoria, who's 11, Olivia, who is 8, and Joanna, who is 5. And, you know, there were just times where we were separated and together. And one of the times we separated was just after uh, we found out we were pregnant with Olivia, or just before. And he decided he was going to go join the Navy. He was going to try to be a Navy SEAL. And he felt like that would give him some security, some identity, some purpose in his life. So he went off to do that, and the girls and I, we went through our own healing journey and process, moved back in with my parents, and took two years to really let the Holy Spirit um, bring healing and kind of watch and see how things developed with Blake. Um, eventually, about the end of those two years, I felt like we could try again. So we moved down with Blake to San Diego, and from there we went to Louisiana. So now he's a SEAL, and now he's in Louisiana, and we're getting medical training for he is. So he became a medic. But he made it into the Navy SEALs. He made it into the Navy SEALs. This isn't a small thing, man. This is huge. Absolutely not. Yeah, it was the pinnacle of everything that he thought he could do. And um, still, it wasn't enough. Still, he had this voice. So he went to medic school, became a medic for the SEAL team, and quickly, the life of drugs and alcohol, it still was there, and being a SEAL just justified that. I worked hard, I'm with my boys, this is what we do. So the party team continued, and um, we were getting ready to move to Virginia Beach, where he would be stationed, and that is about the time we got pregnant with Joanna, and I went home to Washington State, where all of our family lived, to visit one last time before we moved. And when I got to Virginia Beach, I found out that there was still all this sin in his life. And um, I asked God, why? Like, why am I here? Why did you bring me here um, to find out that he's still doing the same things he's been trapped in? And the Lord spoke to me and he said, you are to forgive his sins as far as the east is from the west. And you've all played the harlot in your relationship with me. And so I felt God say, stay. And um, I stayed, and for the next two years, Blake was basically not around. Our youngest didn't really know him as father, um, and that was just because of deployments and work trips. And it started to show that Blake was becoming more and more disconnected emotionally, physically, from me and the girls. And then it got to the point where I started to wake up because I was having dreams about what he was doing. And the Lord would just have me intercede for his life and for our family. And um, it turned out that these dreams I was having was exactly what he was doing. God was showing me how to pray for him. And he would be so angry when I told him because he was like, why is God showing her these things I'm trying to get away with? Um, And that just turned into this darkness that he grew in to the point where he couldn't hide it anymore. So, again, I retreated back to Washington and took the girls with me, and I felt the Lord really speak to me. And he said, you've been fighting the spirit, now you're done. Watch it manifest in the flesh. And I just felt this lift of, like, that burden lifted from my shoulders. And so, um, as I waited, I prayed, and I felt like I was supposed to give them to God one more time and let go. And so that's what I did. And when I did that, the Lord showed me he was cutting off the old covenant, and he was going to bring Blake and I into a new one. And it made no sense. Everybody was telling me to leave him. Nobody agreed with it anymore. 
And I just had that quote in my heart, which now I know was his promise. And um, about two days later, I get a call. And he says, can you come home? I need you to be back here. I'm getting kicked out of the military for drugs and alcohol. So I say, okay, yeah, yeah, big change. So we go back home, and he is not hiding anything. He's doing drugs in the house. He's suicidal. He's depressed. He's just a mess. And his best friend, who was also getting kicked out, because there's this big drug bust, about ten of them. You can find it in the uh, Navy Steel or Navy Times magazine. There's a lot of lies in there. But basically, when he went in to give his alibi of why drugs popped up in his urinalysis, like all the other ten guys, um, he couldn't lie. He went in to lie. He was ready to. He's really good at lying. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of him, and he couldn't tell a lie. So he came clean of all of it. So they easily just pinned it all on him and decided that he could be their scapegoat and put him back or put him into rehab. So right before he went to rehab, his best friend um, shot himself and like found him, and he just snapped. So quickly this man got him into rehab, and on his way he said, "I want a divorce. I'm done." And so I said, okay, God, this was me just completely surrendering. I said, if you want me to be a single mom of three girls, I trust you. You'll provide. And I think it's relevant, Samantha. How old are you at this time? Oh, at that time, I was about 24. You're 24 years old. And Blake is how old at that time? Yeah, I'm 25 years old. <laughs> no, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Like, she was 26. I was 27. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're in your late 20s, both of you, yeah. going through all of that. Three kids being thrown out of the service for drugs and alcohol. Yeah. The pinnacle of your life, being a Navy SEAL, is being crushed, and it's all over the papers. Yeah. And, and when I went in, I'll just add this, too. When I went into rehab, um, I didn't go to get better. I was going because I was told to go. And like Sammy said, I, I wanted a divorce because I couldn't stand... Um, I didn't understand why Sandy forgave and forgave and forgave. And it just all I felt was guilt and the weight of my decisions. And so every time I was around her, it was just like uh, light and darkness. And the darkness inside of me didn't want anything to do with the light. So I just felt like, man, the further I get from this, the less I'll feel the guilt, which is a total lie. Um, and so I said, you know, I'll go to rehab, but I'm not going to go to rehab to get better. I stashed all my drugs in the house. Um, I went to rehab because I, I heard that there was, like, other drug dealers there. And I thought, oh, man, I'm going to be able to find whatever I want. And um, if in a custody battle, you know, through the through the divorce, if in a custody battle, uh, it says on paper that I've graduated a, a rehab program, it'll look better, you know, when I try to, you know, get to see my kids after this divorce. And so that's kind of where my head was when I went into rehab. And I'll let Sammy kind of continue from there. But that's... The, the headspace that I was in, total darkness, total hopelessness. In fact, the psychologist that sent me to rehab said to the, to the psychologist that was re- receiving me, she said, this guy is helpless. Don't even try with him. He's a monster. The words on the paper say monster. And so that's the um, that's where I was at when I went to rehab. Scott, I like what, you know, all the testimonies he has on there. What's going on today? 
Christian, and he got in from the Navy, and he was angry, threw it back in my face, um, said, I want nothing to do with God, I don't even believe in him. And this is happening simultaneously as I'm praying, okay, God, I trust you. I can be a mother of three girls, you'll provide. Well, he's, while I'm doing that, he's going through this process of, okay, why don't you give this a try? Why don't you give God a try and ask him where he's been your whole life? And at first, Blake was just angry and shoved it in her face and walked out of her office. But he couldn't get those words out of his head. And so he went back to his room, and in anger, he said, God, where have you been my whole life? And God responded, and he said, I've been here the whole time. Where have you been? And it wasn't this scolding. It was this father who loved him, who'd been waiting for his son to come home. Had a whole son story. And, um... From that moment, he knew God was real, that he could trust God, and if God could do that with five seconds, what could he do with his life? So I thought, yeah, I stashed a Bible in his bag, and so he pulled that out, and for the first time, it came alive. He'd been in Iwana, he grew up in church, but for the first time, he felt the word of God come alive, and just him and the Lord just dedicated his life back to God. So um, after that, me to come visit him, and when I got there, I was in my car, and he met me in the parking lot, and he wasn't supposed to have guests yet, still breaking the rules, but <laughs> he opened my door, and he gave me this big hug, and I could just feel this lightness, and he looked me in the eyes, and he had this sparkle that wasn't there before, and he said, Samantha, I've made a vow of integrity for the first time in my life to be with the God. And right there, I knew that um, this is what I've been waiting for for eight years. This is God. So from that point forward, we began to spend hours in the battery hall together in our living room, praying and worshiping and spending time with God. The Holy Spirit just began to come in and completely heal and relieve everything. He healed every wound and reconciled our marriage and our family just supernaturally. And, you know, I just want to say that takes intention that takes engaging with, with God and the Holy Spirit and what He wants to do and how He can heal you. It doesn't just happen. So it's very it's an intentional um, relationship and being there and digging in. And so that happened for about three months and then God just started to redeem everything in our life. Everything that had been taken, broken, stolen from the enemy. He said, Nope, that's mine and I'm gonna use it for my good and I will. And uh, that's about the time when we started a small group in our home. We said, Holy Spirit, come have your way. And we both worked at a gym. Um, Blake was a personal trainer, and then he was running the gym within nine months. And we were just inviting our clients into our home. And we started to see healing and salvation and miracles. And the Lord was slowly just blessing it. And then quarantine hit. And um, that's about the time we found out about FCR. Share, yeah, how that all got started. Yeah, so I have a, a question here, Blake. I think so. For our listeners, we went from uh, abject darkness there. Yeah. Which I love the backstory because it's really, it's just a beautiful ending. But we went from abject negative darkness to the Lord just said, I've always been here. Where have you been? What did that sound like in your head? So, from your perspective, this is a radical, complete, everything changed. Yeah. Uh, God said, but I think listeners are like, okay, translate that for me. What does that mean? 
so yeah, in that in that moment, I just I didn't have anything to hold on to. I was completely broken, and I look back at that moment and think, wow, I had nothing to offer God except for just total raw, um, you know, everything that I was, everything that I had lost, and, and I was just completely in a place of being humbled by the world, by everything around me. I had, you know, I was crushed physically, spiritually, emotionally, and I just cried out to him, and I said out loud, I was writing in the journal, and I said, where have you been, you know, in that question of where have you been, and it was more of an impression of, I felt him say, I, I just felt like the presence of God come into that room, and, and I felt him say, I've been here the whole time, I've been waiting for this moment, I'm, I'm here, and it wasn't like Sammy said, it wasn't like God was saying, I've been here the whole time, you degenerate. Where have you been? It was like, I've been, I, it was like, I've been going through this with you. I've been feeling the same things you've been feeling, and I've been going through it with you. I know exactly how you feel right now, and I'm here, and I love you. And something Sammy said at the beginning when I, when I turned away, I thought I turned away from God and what was, and said, you know, she said, I said, I don't need God. And I did. I would say that. You know, I'd say, I don't need God. I can do this on my own. What I failed to realize, and I know now, is you can't run away from a God who's everywhere. He is everywhere. And so when I thought, oh, I'm doing this on my own, even in those moments of me thinking it was me, it was still God. And so that favor and that grace and the things that I accomplished, it was still all God. I was, uh, you know, believing a lie that I was doing it, and I was the one, you know, creating these things, and um, in reality, it's God who's there, he's never, he never leaves us, he never forsakes us, he's there 100% of the time, no matter what, you know, there's nothing we can do to make him love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make him love us less, he loves us because he loves us, because he loves us, and so that was kind of the, uh, the, the moment that I had with God, and I thought, man, this happened from one five-second encounter of me submitting myself and surrendering for the first time I surrendered to something other than myself. And I just thought, wow, what could you do with my life? Because I knew right away that that was what I was missing growing up in the church and growing up kind of in this, um, it was more of a traditional, like, um, a Christian by tradition. (laughs) You know, rather than by relationship and by knowing the sons of God and by knowing God. Um, It was kind of being under the covering of my parents who are amazing believers and, and, you know, chased hard after the Lord for years and and involved in church and and leading people to the Lord. And um, I kind of was protected by their covering until I went out on my own. And then, you know, that's when I was no longer protected by, by their covering in their relationship with, with the Lord, and because I didn't have my own relationship with the Lord, it was complete chaos. Right. So the people in darkness have seen a great light. It started with you. You were in darkness. And so we became friends about a year after you got out of rehab, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and I just met you when we were putting together a team to bring a big international conference in, and I was just drawn to you. You know, I probably, there's probably 50, 75 people there, and I knew I needed a small group. I needed a core team of people, and I knew that you were one of them. And, you know, it, 
wasn't because we had talked. It wasn't. It was. I know it was the Lord. And I always like to highlight Samantha, just the power of a praying wife. That throughout all that time, and you're a young woman. You're, you know, you're in your young twenties when this whole thing starts, right? Actually, you said high school, right? Yeah, yeah. you're in high school. Um, just the, the the faithfulness of God over your life as a praying wife. How many years did you intercede for your husband in obscurity and in tears before you saw the Lord move? It was eight years of intercession and, yeah, crying out to the Lord and really living in that darkness because um, I had the hope of Christ in me, and he he gave us so many wonderful experiences and memories and being tied to your spouse and you're married, that covenant that you're in, you experience and you feel the consequences and the weight of the sin, and it pulls and tugs in your heart to pray a prayer that only, I think, you could pray, and the Lord hears that and answers that, and um, yeah, and we've been married for 11 and a half years now, so praise the Lord for three three and a half years of redemption we've experienced, and it's, it's like starting over. I'm your host, Scott Gilbert. We are so thankful for your time because our calling is to bring the the message of Firestorm is that everyone gets to play. That there are no big sinners in the kingdom. That this is for all of us. And the Lord is waiting for every single one of us to just step one day and step in faith and be his hands to bring people. And that looks like love. That looks like stepping out in love. Which is 
not a great industry, you know, my industry and um, my martial arts schools, that was a crazy time to be in business. It's still crazy, still not back, but um, and I remember talking with you and you said, you know, could you pray for me because I think the Lord is doing something different with us. Yeah. I said, okay, but you were vague, you didn't come right out and say, but uh, the Lord started moving on you all during that time, and yeah, talk about Free Burma Rangers and how you got there and what's a day in the life. Yeah, so, uh, like Sammy said, we, you know, we, we got so lucky in that we had so much time, as I was being processed out of the Navy, we had so much time to do I didn't have to, to work because I was still receiving a small income from the Navy as I got separated. And so we just chose to, to pursue the Lord and to pursue the Holy Spirit and, and let Him heal and restore our lives during that time. And so we had this amazing time, six-month period of just really all-out worship in our living room and as a family. And one of the things that the Lord spoke to us in that time was that the ministry was going to be in our family and that we didn't need to go looking for all of these um, different, fun, exciting, whatever it may be, ministries because we were fire on fire for the Lord and passionate about what He had done in our life and we wanted to just see Him move. And so um, that was a promise that the Lord spoke at that the ministry is in your family. And so fast forward a couple years later down the road after doing ministry with you and Firestorm and um, seeing just God move in such an amazing way in Virginia Beach and in our small group and just everything that were, uh, we were a part of, God was just equipping and, and just moving miraculously. Well, that's what Firestorm is about. We're about yeah. acting. And you were one of them. You know, you were yeah. one of the poor. And, and what God did with you is so impressive. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Free, Burma, free Burma Rangers comes on your radar. Yeah. So we watched this documentary that a friend had recommended. It's the Free Burma Rangers documentary. And after we watched it, we're sitting on the couch, and my wife looks over at me and says, we have to go help those people. And if you've seen the documentary or if you haven't, it's a very action-packed, all real footage, all real documentary, nothing reenacted, all very real front-line footage of this organization that goes into front lines and war-torn areas and countries and provides humanitarian aid and assistance for the people who don't get it, for the people who really are um, the hardest to reach in that in that way. The hardest to reach meaning you don't really want to go because it's such a high-risk scenario um, on the front lines living in, in, and doing ministry in those areas. And so we watch this documentary and it goes over all of that. And for my wife to look at me, she's eight months pregnant at the time. She looks at me and says, we have to go help those people. And I knew in my heart that that is what I wanted to do because that was where my background came from. You know, when I was 13, I did ski patrol with my dad and outdoor emergency medicine and then EMT and paramedic and then went into the SEAL teams, became a medic, became a sniper. Loved, at the heart of it, I loved being with people. I loved helping people. And I saw that that is exactly what this, this ministry was doing. And not only that, but Dave, the founder, he brings his family with him everywhere he goes. So I saw a crucial element that yes. needs to be unpacked yes. in a little bit of time that we have. So, yes. yeah, so this is not where you go into the danger zone and you send a check home and you're, you know, it's like being on deployment. Right. It is you take your 11-year-old daughter 
your eight-year-old daughter, your five-year-old daughter, and your one-and-a-half. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Your old daughter. Yeah. On to the front line of the war zones in places like Syria. Yeah. Um, you know, Burma, Thailand. Yeah. Afghanistan border and um, all the places that we've been in the last year. And exactly, you know, you said it is we prayed so much and we reached out to our close friends, you know, you being one of them, and said, hey, we had this massive decision to make. Can you pray for us? And we just got an astounding, really unbelievable response back of so many prophetic words, people who didn't even know what we were looking at going into saying, do this, do that, you know, and it was like spot on. And so we knew, okay, we've got to, you know, pack up our lives here and kind of close this chapter of our lives, working at a gym, running a small group, um, you know, street evangelism, these things that were amazing and kind of formed who we were as a family and go join this ministry overseas that goes to these really crazy places and do that all with our family. And so we asked, asked the girls each one at a time. They had seen the documentary. They knew what mom and dad were looking at. And we never wanted it to be something that, hey, we're going to go do this whether you want to or not. We wanted it to be a family decision. And so one at a time, they each had, you know, we had four daughters. The only one who didn't respond was our one-year-old. Or she was, really, she was three and a half months, four months old when we joined. Because um, she couldn't speak, right? And so the rest of them. We asked, hey, this is what we're looking at going into. How do you feel? And they all had really real and raw responses. One of them initially said, I don't want to go. That scares me. And then days later, she said, Dad, I want to go because there's kids there and there's women there, and I want to go because I can help those, uh, help bring hope to those people. And so it just really, we watched God not only speak to us, but speak to our children. And over the year, we've watched our children just melt the hearts of the people that we're serving. And when we show up as a family, it does so many things on the spiritual level. Of they look at us and they go, you don't think that you're better than us because you're here with your family. You're here with your 11-year-old, your 8-year-old, your 5-year-old. Your 1-year-old is here on the front lines where bombs are going off and we're getting attacked every day. And you're here because you want to help us? This doesn't make any sense. We've never seen anything like this. And so we watch it just, we watch that melt their hearts, and they're so receptive. Um, to, and of course, we're there to bring aid, and we're giving them food and blankets and water and medical help. And that helps open the door, too, to share the gospel with them. But really, the most, the thing that opens the door the most, I believe, is when we just walk in with our kids. And I think the verse that, that in the Bible that really, for me, it, um, solidified that because as we're doing all these crazy things, you know, the girls get hurt, you know, they have times that are very scary, they're very real moments, it's not, we're not living in this fantasy world that, oh, there, you know, nothing's going to happen because of this, this, and that, it's, it's, I, I won't sugarcoat it, it's dangerous in areas, and then other times it's not as dangerous, but I, I go through these phases where I'm thinking, as a parent, is this a foolish thing to do? Am I a fool for bringing my kid here? Am I putting them in a danger that they don't need to be in? And I start where most nurses would, would be, that's what be the initial gut reaction. Yeah. Is, well, wait a second, if you want to go with your Navy SEAL military medic training on the front line, I get it. But you're going to bring your young wife and you're going to bring these little girls on the front line. That sounds almost like criminal negligence to a lot of people. 
and, to, and do it all for free. You don't get paid for this. This is <laughs> so. Yes, please. The level of faith that I've seen you walk in, Blake, and the level of just—it's glorious. It's beautiful. Um, peel that back a little bit. What's the verse that the Lord gave you to uh, to encourage you to actually go do this? Yeah, so I'll paint just a little picture. You know, in Burma, when we go into Burma, we're not allowed to be there by the government standards because we're helping the government enemies. We're helping the Burma army's enemy, the resistance. By helping them, I mean we're giving them food and water. We're keeping them healthy. We're giving them medicine. Um, we're not arming them. We're not, you know, fighting the Burma army with them. But in the Burma army's mind, we are. And so in order to get in, it means backpacking, and it means most of the time backpacking at night with headlamps or without headlamps. And so, like I said, all of our girls, they do that. They hike in, and they hike behind and around enemy checkpoints and enemy lines, and they do it because of love. And so the verse that the Lord gave me after one of our missions in as a family, and my five-year-old had hit her head pretty good, and she was completely fine. She recovered 100%, but I'm having those thoughts again of doubt, of wondering, God, did you really say, or is this just me pulling my kids on a, you know, an adventure that I want to go in on? And the verse is in Psalm chapter 8, and this is the Passion Translation. It's, um, it's pretty similar in all other translations, but in verse 2, it says, uh, chapter 8, verse 2, it says, You have built a stronghold by the songs of children. Strength rises up with the chorus of infants. This kind of praise has the power to shut Satan's mouth. Childlike worship will silence the madness of those oppose you. And so I thought, wow, all that fear when I read that went away because I felt God saying, you really think that you love your kids more than I do? How dare you? How dare you think that you love your kids? It was almost like this discipline moment where I had to present my kids on the altar and let God provide a ram out. We don't want to put our kids in a scenario where God hasn't led them for us there. And so, like I said, before every trip, before and during and after, we're praying and asking God, shut the door if you don't want us to be here. But time and time again, he leads us into these scenarios that by the world's standards and by our flesh are very uncomfortable and very dangerous, right, quote, unquote, and and continually provides the ram, provides the safety that they need. He is their safety. And they can call on him and not call on me or call on Samantha. And we watch um, as they are really the ones that carry the power. They're the ones that shut the voice of the enemy and silence the ones that oppose us when we bring them in. And as of the Christmas season, you know, I, I pondered this thought a little bit more of, like, this is a season where we reflect on Jesus' birth and what that means. What does that mean? That means God sent his son to die. So this is a way that we get to partner with God. We don't want to send our kids to die. That's not what I'm saying. But we want to send our kids to serve and to love. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so we want to so love the world and the people that we serve that we give our family. And if that means counting the cost of death, maybe it's just death to our comforts and to our the things that we get while we're in America, and maybe it's physical death or injury, whatever that looks like, if our motive is love, 
then it's 100% worth it every single time. And so I think it's so important for us to remember as we, are, we live in, you know, a safety net of, of America and this great nation. It's an amazing country, and it's protected by amazing people and, and, and built up on God. Um, I think it's also important for us to remember that what are we doing here? What is our purpose? How can we get a little bit more uncomfortable and love the world so much that we're giving something as great as our own children? Yeah, it's just, it's a whole new level of faith that the two of you demonstrate. And I know your little girls, they're totally normal kids. They're really standard issue, you know, one, five, eight, eleven-year-olds. But, um, you know, the way they're growing up now, yeah, they're growing up in refugee camps. Yeah, they're growing up, but your 11-year-old, you were telling me, is training the Burmese army defectors that find out we don't like what our country is doing, so they run off and they join the resistance. Your 11-year-old little girl is teaching them how to repel. Yeah. As an 11-year-old little girl, what is that girl's life going to be like when she's 17, 18, 25? And just the things that you've seen. So we were talking before the show, and I know you've seen, I, I love this because I haven't seen this one yet, you've seen the multiplication of food miracles. Yeah. We have about 15 minutes left in the show. I'd love to hear that and another couple of testimonies. Yeah. Yeah, the testimonies are amazing. Um, so this last year, actually this time last year, is early January. We went into Syria, and one of the frontline positions that we were, one of the villages that we were helping, um, most of the people had fled from that position. So there's normally 100 to 200 people living there. It's in the little, little village of Deldara in Tel Tamar, which is in northeast Syria. And there still was 36 families that were living there. And because of COVID and because of a bunch of other um, series of unfortunate events, you know, they're already living on the front line. There are already very few people and organizations that go and help them. And then when COVID happened, it ceased everything because people couldn't internationally travel. People were not getting into Syria. And so when we showed up, they had not seen or received any help for one year. And we were so um, just blown away at the response of their receptiveness to receive us because we're Westerners and and we come in the name of Jesus and everything that we do. And so we decided to do a food distribution for these families. And like I said, there was 36 of them. We purchased 36 bundles of food, which was rice and lentils and diapers and baby, baby formula. Um, because there's pregnant women, there's women with infants and kids and every, you name it. Everybody's living in these situations. They have to leave their houses at night because their houses are targeted by the Free Syrian Army and the Turkish-backed forces. Um, and so as they're targeted, they go out into the, or into the uh, desert, which is freezing cold at night, and they come back to their houses. They're living in just these horrible situations. And we show up. We get to do this food distribution. We have... Uh, the food show up before everyone else shows up, and we separate all these bundles of food, 36 bundles. We have it very well organized because the faster we can get everybody through the line and the more organized it is, the less of a mob breaks out because it can tend to become pretty violent if not everybody gets food and not everybody gets equal amount of food. So we pre-bundled all these bundles. There's you know, some space, two or three feet between each bundle. Counted them multiple times, 36 bundles, good to go. Well, 42 families showed up. And so as we have them lined up, I thought, 
understand if not everybody gets food, it's going to be a disaster. People are going to get upset. They're going to get offended. We're going to look like fools. And so I gathered the team, and we prayed as a team and just said, all right, Lord, we're going to distribute food until the food's gone. And so we start the food distribution anyway. Everybody's coming through the line. It's going great. I'm looking at the line. I'm looking at the bundles and just going, okay, how is this going to work? How is this going to work? And as, I, as the, everybody comes through, you know, the last two people are coming through, and I look over at the food bundles, and the last person comes through, and I give away the second to last food bundle. So the last family, the 46th family or 42nd family, comes through. There's still a bundle of food on the ground. So right away, I knew this is a, this is a multiplication of food. There's no other explanation. Multiple people had counted the food. And there's still an extra bundle. So I thought, God, uh, thank you so much for multiplying the food. But what's this extra bundle for? And where we were doing the food distribution, there was a, an abandoned school. And as I had that thought, this guy comes walking up from this abandoned school. And he said, I noticed you guys were doing food distribution. Is there any way you have any extra food left? And so I was able to give him that one last bundle that I had after God multiplied it so that there was a bundle for everybody and a bundle for this guy. And I got to explain to him what just happened, that God multiplied. We didn't have food, but God multiplied it because he loves that man and his family. And we had two Syrian ethnic um, Muslims with us on that trip that work with FDR, volunteer with FDR. And those two men gave their life to the Lord after that trip because they were two of the guys that counted and knew that there was no other explanation that uh, – that, that, could, that we could give other than God multiplied that food for those people. And so um, it was an amazing time, and it was I still am just blown away at, like, wow. I wish I could have filmed the whole thing and had a camera up on the court uh, of the, where the food was laid out. Um, but I don't know how we did it other than just the supernatural multiplication of food. That's awesome. I'm, I'm just thrilled because, you know, we've had a lot of cool testimonies on this, and that's one of the things with the Firestorm broadcast is we want to show, you know what, Jesus said that the, those that believed in him would do the same things he did and greater things. Yeah. It's not supposed to be, you know, out of the ordinary. It should be really normal for Christians to experience the Lord moving with them through their daily life. It shouldn't be so crazy dramatic. Although it's amazing, and I love it. I love it when people get healed, and I love it when short legs go right before our eyes. I had one last week when I went to the dentist, and I love it when people get saved. I love it when demons jump out of people, and I've done nothing because I just went in a mail package at UPS, and the, and, and the enemy manifests in this young woman, jumps out of her head, and she's free, and I just showed up. There was nothing. But what I love about what you're talking about is you're making this real and relevant to people. I love that the fact that you put your family on the line, but you've really kind of happened, you know, because one thing you said is the Lord loves your kids more than you do. Yeah. And that goes for all of us, right? So if you're broken for your children, part of the I think the situation is the Lord is saying, look, I love your kids more than you do, and just release them to me. But it doesn't mean we get, you know, we don't do crazy 
crazy things, all the people are going to say what you're doing is crazy. But when you're going before the Lord and you're hearing His voice and you're seeing manifestations of His presence, and He's He's ratifying these things over and over and over, that must just be a thrilling faith life that you're all with. Yeah, and the cool thing about having our kids and watching God minister through them, um, one story is we were in Raqqa, which is this completely destroyed city. It was the last caliphate of ISIS, and everything's just, the buildings are just crumbled. Um, and FDR decided to go ahead and rebuild the church that ISIS um, bombed, and it was the Christian Armenian church there. And the FDR said, we still like to go ahead and rebuild it. And it's the most beautiful building in the middle of the city. It's literally a light on the hill. And as we're doing that, there's a playground across the street. And so we walk over, and there's all these kids playing. And over there in Syria, there's women wearing their full hijabs. And all you see is a sliver where you can see their eyes. And um, I'm wrestling in my head as I'm watching my kids play, and they have kids playing. Do I go over there? Do I introduce myself? You know, normally they're ISIS sympathizers or various ISIS men. So it's, it's intimidating. And as I'm wrestling with this thought, another team member was holding her baby, who's about the same age, so about one and a half, and she walks right up to them with the translator, and they just start having a conversation. She just starts asking him about normal life, how they like living in Raqqa, and before you knew it, she was sharing the gospel of Jesus with them, and they were hungry for what she was saying, and then they walked away with audio Bibles. And to me, that was just a testimony of the children and how that immediately uh, tears down any barriers, social barriers, when you can just be like, hey, I'm a mom, you're a mom, we relate, we have kids, and God opens the door for them to, to minister and to love on them, mm-hmm. and that... You know, they're probably just as intimidated and unsure about you as you are about them. But when you go out and reach out to the love of Christ, he's going to show up. And he's going, yeah, he's going to move. Yeah, I think that's what the, the step of faith looks like is, you know, my wife says it about me. She said, you know, I have stepped off so many cliffs and I just expect at this point to grow wings on the way down. The Lord has never let me crash. What I'm finding as I step off bigger and bigger cliffs, scarier and scarier cliffs, the wings are growing faster. Um, and it sounds like that's kind of the life that you're giving your girls, that they're seeing the Lord just undergird you, right? On a day basis. Yeah, one of the quick testimony, too, of, of our girls getting to see that just manifest in front of their eyes. We were in. Rennie State inside Burma, and we had done this. Um, we were doing a training in there with our kids there, and there was a prison, a little prison where we were at. The base we were staying at had a little prison where they kept guys for whatever reason, you know, from different villages or different um, militias. And there was, I went down to pray for the guys that were in in that little jail, that prison. And I took Victoria and my only in Jesus' name. I, I think this is relevant. So obviously, most of our Listeners will know this is absolutely predominantly Muslim areas and very aggressive Muslim ISIS, Al Qaeda. This is the hotbed of all of those names that you've heard, scary names. And Blake, you just step right into that environment and pray for them in Jesus' name. How do they handle that? 
Yeah, we've seen it time and time again where the name of Jesus just softens their their perspective. When they see us, they, they have this idea in their head that Westerners, Christians, only want to kill them and only want to silence their voice and don't want them to have religious freedom. But when we come and we're helping their people and we're fighting alongside of them, by fighting, I mean we're there on the front lines with them, giving them medical aid, pulling their men off the front lines and saving their lives, and, and, and there with them, with our families, immediately those walls and those barriers come down of, oh, this is what, it, this is what a Christian is? This isn't what I thought a Christian was. I thought a Christian came, you know, with a black ski mask and, and shot, you know, executes all of us because we're Muslim. And so we get to tear that down right away. And when we come in Jesus' name and we pray in Jesus' name, we see, have seen it where the, these top um, military leaders who are radical in their Islam beliefs um, start to accept and receive what we have to say because we're there, we're living with them, we're living in the same circumstances, and we're putting ourselves and our families out there um, and showing them this is what it, you know, I don't know what you believe or what you've seen, but this is what we believe, and we're here living it with you. And um, so we, uh, we've we seen it so many times with with Muslims and Buddhists and people's walls just coming down um, about who, they, who their preconceived uh, perception of Christians are. Yeah, and you're seeing them pray to receive Jesus on the front lines of battle. Yep. You're seeing, you know, I remember you were telling me about the Burmese army, these, you know, these young soldiers that escape the, uh, the army because they find out, wait a minute, I don't like what my government's doing. And under penalty of death, they escape, run into the jungle, and you guys intercept them. And how many of them normally, when you kind of rehab and, and train these folks, um, how many of them are coming to, to Jesus, like in percentages or... Yeah, the, the uh, I don't have an exact percent. I don't want to mess it up. Yeah. So we've done, inside Burma, we did six trainings this last year, and we had an average of about 200 to 150 at each training. Okay. Over 50% of those classes were giving their life to the Lord. Yeah. And one class in particular, one where my family was there the whole time, it was like 98%. So all of them, except three people in the class, gave their life to the Lord. And 100% of everybody in the class volunteers to take a Bible. So we offer, we say, hey, if at any time you want a Bible, we have them. You can come and get them. And 100% of the students have come and taken a Bible. It's not like we're saying, here, this is part of your curriculum, part of what we're teaching. They actually volunteer and they say, hey, I want to I want to take this and read it. And one of the amazing testimony of that is six months later we did a training uh, where we brought back you know the top the top students from each class and when they came back they noticed that their Bibles were worn they were open they had been reading their Bibles they didn't just receive it as oh this is going to get stuffed in my in, you know in my backpack somewhere you could actually tell that they had been reading it and it was just an amazing testimony of hey this is God's word that are war-torn, war-torn, and the enemies have a heyday with them. But God's Word is restoring, and like the theme of, 
Thank you for listening to the Firestorm Podcast with your host, Scott Gilbert. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen. If you're looking for more about the Firestorm Equipping Ministry, you can find us on the web at firestormunited.org. We're also on Facebook at Firestorm United. If you'd like to partner with us, equipping the body of Christ for revival, you can give on our website, firestormunited.org. All donations are tax deductible.